at $200, a Super Nintendo setup costs twice as much as the old system. For the money, the company promises better pictures, sound, and adventure. Now you're playing with power, super power. You're the king, I tell you! You're the king! Only for Super NES. Only for Super NES. You're listening to the SNES Podcast with your host, Soul Blazer. Hello, everybody. This is Super NES Podcast, episode number 172 this time. Um, I am Greg, joined by always by my uh, co-host Joe. Hello. And once again, we are pleased to have the guest host with us, like in the podcast. Uh, I did uh, so. I so I so we did warn everybody that this is going to be the march of the um, uh, the march of the guests, the, the guest, the guest hosts here in, in this section. So, um, but anyway, so uh, I am pleased to have somebody on the on the podcast for the first time. Uh, uh, a longtime friend of the podcast. I thought he had been on here in the past. It turns out that he did. So it turns out he, um, it turns out, it turns out he actually had, he actually like only had done some bumpers for us. So um, I'm very pleased the first time to welcome friend of the podcast Liam to the podcast. Uh, how's Hello. it going, Liam? It's going really well, actually. It's a little bit warmer than I expected it to be today, but hey, that's just how the temperature is in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, um, uh, yes. So the accent should the accent should make it that pretty clear. If anybody hasn't already like, picked up on that, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, so where in the UK do you actually live? I'm in southeastern England, so kind of near the coast. Okay. Uh, so are you near Dover? I'm a good few hours from Dover. I'm okay. kind of north of Dover. Okay, all right. So, but awesome. Okay. All right, well, um, you know, it's always fun to have European on the podcast because they have very... Um, because they have very different perspectives, perspectives and whatnot, and also because of the fact that Europe... But the, Europe, for the most part, this is this is curious. There's also there's, there's also there's also ties to the game that Liam brought 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 to us to talk about. Usually, Europe got shafted when it came to like games for the longest time because it's like a lot of games would come out in North America but would not come out in in Europe. But every now and then, the opposite happens because uh, the game that Liam wanted wanted us to discuss is a game that came out in Europe but not North America, at least not for a very very long time. So, um, uh, so like, so which game do you want to? Since you want to cover like this podcast episode, Liam. Uh, so today we'll be talking about the shooter Poppin' Twinbee. Yes, a Konami uh, game, part of their uh, uh, part of their Twinbee franchise, which we'll get into uh, say it's the moment. But in the meantime, Liam, since you're new to the podcast, um, why don't you tell us a little? So, if you don't mind, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, a little bit about yourself, your background, uh, your history with Super NES growing up, that kind of stuff. Well, for me, with the Super Nintendo, it's quite an interesting story. Um, my earliest memory with the Super Nintendo goes back, I think I was four years old, so it would be 1996. I nearly forgot what my age was then. That's always a good start. <laughs> um, and I, my earliest memory is actually of Super Mario World, but it wasn't me actually playing it. It was actually, I think it was my sister playing it, and the underwater music, <laughs> ironically, from that game actually used to make me cry. <laughs> so that's kind of my that's kind of the only initial memory I had of the Super Nintendo kind of from when I was a child 
I also got back into the Super Nintendo when I was a Twitch streamer. Sadly retired nowadays because, you know, time and, you know, adulthood and everything. Um, and that's kind of where I discovered a lot of, you know, lots of different games like Star Fox 2. I found that before it was officially released by Nintendo. Uh, Mickey Mania was one of the first ones I played. But there's just something about the Super Nintendo library that is just truly fascinating. Just the amount of different games that came out for that system. Whether it be in Japan, the US, or here in Europe. Yes. Yes, even though the library wasn't quite as big in Europe, uh, Europe still got a very big Super NES library. So, um, yeah, we got all guys. the... Yeah. yeah, we definitely got all the classics, like, you know, Super Metroid, um, Star Fox, we've got Star Fox, of course, and, ev and everything, but obviously that version's a little bit different, because obviously it ran, lots of the games ran slower here, so. Yes, but, yeah, but, uh, yeah, definitely, um, so, uh, like, what's some of your favorite Super NES games, then? My favorites, ooh, now that is a tough one, um, Super Mario World 2 would definitely be up there. Um, I know that the baby crying can definitely annoy some people. Oh man, does it ever? <laughs> yeah, it's just one. It's just one of those things where you just think, why did you add that? Why did one? Why does Mario have to ride eight different colors of Yoshi's? And second of all, why does he literally have to whinge every time he falls off the back of fall off the back of Yoshi? Really, I yes. mean, I mean that would be up there. Um... Oh, I would also say one of my other favourites that comes to mind. I've got so many that are in so many games just going through my head right now, but I'd say Star Fox Two is also up there. Yes, simply yep. because the fact of the matter is that game was very, very ambitious for its time. I mean, obviously nowadays the graphics are dated, the music's a bit dated, of course, but at the time, if that game had been released. I think there could have been even more Star Fox games in the series, personally. Yeah, 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 definitely. So, um, have you had a chance to check out? Um, um, so, have you had a chance to check out like a lot of the Super NES catalog, like through emulation, like in recent years? Oh, definitely. I've yeah. tried all sorts of interesting games. Like, for some reason, the Japanese beat 'em ups kind of really captured my attention. Um, sure. I can't remember what the name of it was. Um, there was... Uh, I can't remember what series it even was from. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but it's just... Exploring the Japanese library, I find to be just truly... Just fascinating. Like, for example, the Shin Megami Tensei games. Are one yes, of the yeah, other series yeah. that comes to mind. Yeah. Like, not just the core Shin Megami Tensei games, but like the the remakes of the NES ones that they released in... Um, I think it was 95... And then obviously you had like Margin Tensei. They really had a lot of games in that series for the Super Nintendo. And most of them still stand up today like really well. Yeah, we've covered one of the games in the podcast already. Like it was a very good game. So, um, you know, like, um, you know, at least that series finally got the, you know, at least that series is finally getting the respect and recognition that it deserves. So, um, so what about American games? Any American games that you really have found that you like that you wish had come out in Europe uh, back then? Um... None that really spring to mind. I mean, obviously, a quite a decent amount of the U.S. library came over to um, came over to Europe. But I think it's I think the only game that I don't think came to Europe was Earthbound. 
I don't well, think that was released in Europe, was it? I, I was gonna say most of the most of the RPGs did not come out in Europe originally, originally, originally. But if you're not an RPG fan, like you really like what notice because it's like it's like it's like Final Fantasy IV and Final Fantasy VI never came out in Europe originally either, for, for example, either. So, um, but uh, uh, some good action games didn't come. Uh, um, also, also because Europe's uh, Europe's a lot more localized, uh, some games. Some games were some games came out came out in England only as opposed to not being out in the rest of Europe. Um, then you also had, you know then you also had examples like Actrizer, which came out in Australia but not in Europe. So the like, so the, only, like, like the only power version of, of that game's out there plays like, like a copy. Like it's yeah, it's very very weird. So <laughs> yeah, Actrizer is just one of those ones that I've always found just baffling that Australia got but we did not get. Yeah, we never figured that out either. So, um, yeah, just like you know, just like for example, um, I'm gonna have theories here based on research as to why this game came out in Europe only, but the, uh, came in Europe only. But I'm um, we'll get into it here in a moment. Um, so what else? So what about this game itself, Pop and Twinbee? Did, did you play this back in the day, or, or or was this more of a recent discovery for you? Uh, this is a very recent discovery for me. So. Um, on Nintendo Switch nowadays, you have the online like virtual console that you yes, get with yep, the subscription. Yep, yep. This is one of the games that came out this year. I think it was alongside another game that I have been enjoying as well. It's called Psycho Dream. So what Nintendo did for a couple of the games is actually relocalize them themselves to then be released on the Nintendo Switch online platform. Sure. And this was one of those that I believe got relocalized by Nintendo because the version that is on the Switch, I believe, was the original Japanese version because it actually runs, mm. uh, kind of runs at the uh, correct speed. It's not slowed down like the original mm. Super Nintendo version was. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's interesting. So. Um... Yeah, so we're gonna have to explain this franchise a little bit here, here a little bit here, because most of our listeners are not gonna be familiar with it. Um, you know, even European listeners probably would not to be too, 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 probably not would like be too, too, too familiar with the Twin B series because most of the games did not come out in the West. So, uh, but yeah, it's interesting that you actually picked a game that was a more recent discovery uh, because this game did come out in Europe, but in Europe back in the day. But um, so I, like I wasn't sure if you played it back then or not. But that's interesting. Okay, so um, yeah, so. Uh, the uh, the Twin Bees series. Uh, um, so I'll try to so I'll, I'll try to so I'll try to cover this in, cover this in very basic basic terms. Uh, this is a franchise put out by Konami, of course. Um, it has some similarities to their Gradius series, uh, but instead of Gradius being more um, you know sci-fi and more futuristic, the uh, the Twin Bees series has always been kind of a kind of a uh, kind of a cartoonish uh, slash anime look look and feel like their games. Uh, you know, very cutesy graphics, bright and colorful, sprites, that kind of stuff. So, um, and it actually has some elements, elements of gameplay, gameplay that are borrowed from other, uh, 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 borrowed from other games. Such as the whole, um, being able to, you know, such as the whole being having, such as the having, having ground-based weapons as well as having ship-based weapons. That's a page to take, that's a page to take directly, like, from the Xevia series by Namco. Um, which also, which also features ship-to-ship shooting both ground and air-based weapons. So... Um, the other so so the last major thing that raised that so, so the last major major thing that 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 really, that really sticks out to people, um, and this is a deal breaker for some people I think. <laughs> the power system in this game is very 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 unique, and to me at least very very frustrating uh, because 
the way the, because the way powers work in this the, the, the way powers powers work in this franchise is that um, you shoot clouds because of course you shoot clouds why not um, which <laughs> uh, which uh, shoot out bells and depending upon the color of the bell depends upon the power that you get and you have to shoot the um, so you have to shoot the bell like five times to you know, change the color of the color of the bell I really do not like the system at all I find it to be annoying frustrating. You know, it, like you know, it's too easy to miss the bell. Too easy to grab the bell at the wrong color. You're trying to do that while trying to. You're also trying to do that. Like also trying to juggle, juggle usually the enemy fire coming mm-hmm. at you. It's like it's like it's like it's like I got the hang of it after a while, and I'm like I'm like boy, do I hate this system. <laughs> with, uh, you know, with a passion, I hate this system. But um, uh, I can hear from Joe's reaction. He agrees with me. Liam, how, uh, so what do you think about the whole like power system that this game uses? Um, I think the power system's quite interesting. Um, I feel I, I, yeah, interesting's the best way to describe it. Um, <laughs> I do agree with you in terms of the whole juggling thing, because the fact of the matter is, is that there's just there are times in this game where there's just screens, and I mean screens just full of enemies, especially in the later stages. Mm-hmm. And also, the problem is as well is that if you accidentally hit a different power up, you you have to stick with that. Mm-hmm. And if if you and if you've got you know like the uh, there is a power up that is quite has quite a wide range on screen. If you lose that and you're stuck with one that li- the uh, one of them that just floats all the way across the screen and doesn't really do much, you've kind of you know through, pretty much through bad luck you know got yourself a pretty sometimes miserable power up. Mm. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. But as well, I found with, that the power ups as well kind of play as well. Because on the menu, there's also three different ways that you can have... Because of one of the power-ups as well is that you can pick up assistants. Yes. So, yep. Which... W- the way that they shoot is dependent upon which thing you picked at the start. Whether you picked normal... What was it? Normal, surround... And there was one other that I just didn't use because it was... It's very similar like to the option system. Like the, the option system that's the system that's using Gradius. Whether you have the options yeah. either like around you know, around in a circle or like on your sides, like your tail behind you. Mm. So Yeah. But... Um, yeah, because uh, yeah, because uh, yeah, because if I haven't said this before, you're actually playing this. Yeah, you're actually you're actually playing this franchise a B-shaped anti, like like anthropomorphic. Uh, Beck, I, I can't say that word. Uh, anthropomorphic space spacecraft, which is named Twin B. So, like I said, this mm. is you know this is a weird series. You know, definitely one of those only in Japan things. But um, and you also get uh, a pink female kind of part that Liam was just talking about, who's known as Win B. So. Uh, for example, for like example, in this game here, Pop and Twin B, you either could play as, as to a, a single player or two player, and if you're, and if you're doing two player mode, somebody's playing it. You know, one person's playing as playing Twin B, and the other person's playing as Win B. Mm. So, um, so like I said, most of these games in this franchise did not come out in the West. A few games did here and there. Um, the original game in the franchise was called Twin B, which came out in 1985. This was an arcade game only. They poured the various systems such as the uh, uh, the Famicom, the the MSX. Uh, the Game Boy Advance, the DS, etc., etc. Um, so, the second game in the series, I actually did not know this. The second game, the, the second game in the franchise, uh, I'm going to try the Japanese here. Apologies, <laughs> like I like butcher it. Uh, which is known as a, which is known as Mario Twin B Cinnamon Hakase Osuki. Actually, actually came out in North America. It came out. Um, it came out. Um, uh, they localized the game and modified it in some ways uh, for the NES. Playing a game called Stinger, which I never realized because I had to play Stinger back. Uh, 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 yeah, because I played Stinger as a kid uh, back in the day. Um, 
pretty good game actually. It was like hard game, but hard, hard game, but not a good game. I never realized it. I, I never, I never realized until until doing research it was actually part of the Twinbee series. So, um, the next game, uh, um, uh, in the series stayed out, stayed out, stayed out like in Japan only. But then you had the fourth game in the series, Pop Twinbee, which is the game that we're covering here here in this podcast. Came out, came out October uh, October October nineteen ninety. Got a, uh, got a European release in, 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 in European release in, in 1994. Uh, the, the, the the European version of this game was handled by a company called Palcom, uh, which was a branch of Konami, which operated in, in which operated in Europe during the early to mid 90s. It's kind of the equivalent of the Ultra the Ultra series, the, uh, the series that we had here in North America, mm-hmm. whereas Konami like used it to release things that to be like secondary games or uh, games or, or uh, games and whatnot. So, um, and and uh, and uh, this wasn't and Twinbee and the uh, Pop Twinbee wasn't the only strange game that Palcom picked to release in Europe. They, they, they did it with a bunch of other games too. There were a bunch of like, for example, of uh, 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 of, uh, of uh, Japanese MSX games that was also got localized and imported to the MSX because the MSX was also fairly popular in Europe as well. Yeah. So uh, Palcom made some very curious decisions as far as which games to bring over to Europe. But this was one of the games that they decided uh, that would do uh, pretty well, you know, pretty well. So. <coughs> <clears throat> Sorry, um, but anyway, yeah. So being a shooter, this game was very playable here by uh, uh, playable here by North Americans. Anyway, um, we actually did finally get it. So North America finally, so like so North America finally did get a release of this game uh, over here officially, uh, which is what Leah mentioned earlier. Uh, in February 2020, it was added to the Nintendo Switch library. So uh, you actually like so you actually like, so you actually can now officially buy this game in North America for America first time the first time 27 years after it came. Here. Whatever came out, so better late than never, I guess. But, <laughs> um, so after this game, so um, uh, as after this game, there was, yes, after this game, there was a few other. Uh, I mean, there were a few other games. There were six main Twin B games came out. Came out period period with a bunch of like a whole bunch of side games and side games and guiding games as well too. Uh, the last game came. The last game of this franchise came out twenty thirteen, and given how Konami's pretty much pulled out of the pulled out of the the, the, the big game market altogether, I really don't I really don't expect any more games to come out to come out anytime soon. Yeah. But um, so, however, the Twin B series was uh, the Twin B series like very popular like Japan. Uh, so popular in fact they actually had a radio drama inspired like, inspired by it. Um, which lasted for three seasons, as well as also having anime, uh, but an anime version as well. So, so Japanese. Yes. Well, <laughs> I mean, the game looks very Japanese based upon the uh, um, uh, the cartoon, the, the cartoony graphics and whatnot, which we're gonna hear to like, you know, you know, play, play, you know, play, you know, play, we'll get here to um, you like in a moment. So, um, being a shooter, the plot, the plot of the game is like, very minimal. Uh, basically. Basically, 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 you get a distress call. A distress call, like a young girl. Um, um, he, she's the granddaughter of a scientist, uh, uh, of a scientist named Dr. Mardok, who used to be who used to be pretty kind until he got a bump in the head and that like, turned him evil because of course it did. Um, <laughs> and like you know, and and so like yeah, and so now Twinbee and Winbee are like the ones who can stop him. So you know. I mean, it's a shooter. Like, as 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 just said, just said, like, really, you know, like, you really don't need like too much, like too much like my plot. So, uh, anyway, so that's the basic setup of the game and whatnot. Um, Liam, you have probably had the most experience out of the three of us of playing this game. Uh, yeah. Do you want? So, do you want? Does does he want to tell us the gameplay, how it works, how it operates, that kind of stuff? 
Well, the gameplay is actually quite simple, all things considered. Um, we start whenever you start, obviously, on the first stage, and what really the core goal is is to kind of power yourself up for these. Um, how can I say? Very obtuse and very strangely designed boss bosses. Um, um, the game's quite unique. You mentioned about the two planes. I really like that system because it kind of when the, with the problem is with some shooters, especially from this sort of era, is that there can be so much downtime between different sections. But in this case, it's very much if there's nothing in the air, there are things that you can aim for on the ground. But here's something I found about aiming for the enemies on the ground is that if you destroy enough of them a little heart will appear and that is the core way that you actually regain health in this game it's it's very very well hidden but I think it's a pretty pretty decent uh, reward for kind of exploring the enemies on the on the ground um, the thing that the other thing about the game that is quite interesting that I don't think I've seen too much too much in shooters is um your power-ups kind of carry it on with you from stage to stage. So, for example, if you beat a boss and you don't game over, all the power-ups you have kind of move on to the next stage with you. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, the core setup of the game is pretty much get survive through a stage with so many cutesy, intriguingly designed enemies, and... Then you obviously face a boss, which, as I say, they're just so weirdly designed. But that kind of, I suppose, that kind of fits in with the style of the game. Um, yeah. I, I believe there are seven stages, if I'm not mistaken. I know, take that myself, like right now. Uh, yeah, I believe you're right. Yeah. Um, and what's what I find pretty interesting in between each stage is that there's like a little, kind of like a, like a short few seconds, like cartoon almost yeah. so for example after the first stage you see the girl kissing the um the male character and just him going completely red <laughs> which, which believe me any guy at that age when you get kissed by a girl trust me that is a natural reaction um <laughs> but yeah i mean it's it's kind of a pretty standard setup just survive and you know save the girl at the end there are some very different. There are some. There are some very interesting uh, options you have. Options that you have uh, as far as uh, as far as, as far as shooting this game. You have your shot and your bomb. You also have what's called it. But you also have chibi, punch, energy, and throw uh, as well. Uh, as well as you can also do with your buttons. Uh, Liam, do you want to say like real quick like what those do? Um, I'm trying to remember actually. <laughs> um. <laughs> Admit, admittedly, I didn't use all those um, power-ups too much. I believe there is a power-up that you can collect from the um, cloud juggling that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, and what that one does, it's, it's quite simple. It kind of kind of spews Wingby all over the screen. Like how how Wingby multiplies into the amount of uh, multiplies the amount of times that it does is truly, truly unusual. Like, it basically goes from one little wing to, like, 50. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, as I say, that was the only power that I really used. I mean, the other ones I never really got around to really needing or using, really. Mm. Yeah, the punch one's pretty fun. The punch one, the punch one basically, the punch one basically just, like, 
just actually throw a punch across the screen. It's not going to be sound. So, um, or the throw one. The throw one allows you to be able to just the, the, the throw one like allows you to, allows you to be able to, to allows you to be able to like throw the, the to throw an enemy. Um, one of the really unique things. So the option screen for this game is actually very good because not only can you like set the um, because not only can you um, yeah, because not only can you. Um, you not only can each player also uh, change their change of map on the controller, you also can change the difficulty level. There's seven. There's there, there's seven default uh, difficulties in this game, which is like which, which is like very good. You know, I appreciate games that have like a a very wide variety of difficulties to pick from. Um, there's actually there's actually there's actually more there's more difficulties, but we'll get into that later on. Um, and you also have and you can also pick your can you also pick your option of playing either in normal game mode or couple game mode. And couple game mode is very unique. Something that I wish like more games had actually. Um, basically, in couple mode, two people, um, couple mode is designed for two people playing together. But unlike a regular game, if it's like couple mode, the enemy attacks will primarily focus upon player one. Uh, so therefore, so, like, therefore, this allows this allows the player not as good and uh, not as good as the first player to play player two and still still enjoy the game, have fun in it because most of the attacks are not going to be coming through. Um, you know, and most of the most attacks are, are, are not going to be aimed toward them. So that's a very cool feature. I mean, I wish they, um, you know, I can't think of anything that does that. So yeah, kind of it's the kind of it's kind of the sort of thing where um, it's very much like when you used to put play. I know I'm going to reference a Sega Genesis game here. It's kind of like with Sonic that's Two fine, when you Joseph. have <laughs> yeah, yeah, just. Yeah, 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 George Genesis kid growing up like you're fine. Yep. Okay, I, I'm glad I'm forgiven for that. Um, it kind of <laughs> reminds me of um, with Sonic 2 when you can control Tails, where the the, the enemies kind of don't go after Tails, but also the fact that if you've got like a younger sibling, it's the perfect thing for them to do because obviously player one is doing, you know, doing all the legwork, and obviously player two feel like. Maybe like a three or four year old, like child, for example, can play along almost, but still. But in this game, it kind of gives them. They have a purpose more in that, rather than you know just being there for to keep the young the young child occupied. It's very much that they can have an impact. They could get like the final hit on the boss fight, for example. Yep. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah. And then also, uh, you also, and then also in this game, like the in this game, like like some of the games, uh, if you're playing two player mode. Uh, one player can't take a little bit of energy like another player uh, as well too to help them play. So, um, so there's that feature here like as well also. So, um, this game is a this. So, so we can talk about this like for a moment. This game is a this game is a vertical shooter. Um, uh, let me toss the question out to Liam first. Uh, do you prefer so 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 I. Uh, so I'm actually a big fan of shooters. I feel very strongly about this. Do you prefer a game that's a vertical shooter, like a, hor a vertical shooter, like or a horizontal shooter? I prefer vertical shooters personally. Um, I think with a horizontal shooter, for me, it's I, I find I find it a little bit um, in terms of being able to do things with the depth perception. I feel like the horizontal sh shooters kind of they can't really do much in terms of you know depth in terms of, like background sort of animations. Um, with ver I find vertical shooters as well a little bit more interesting because obviously, especially with this game as an example, it's not just air combat only. It's not just shoot things in front of you, move on. It's very much you're, there's almost like that second plane that the developers can play with almost and kind of add different mechanics. Okay, that's a good argument. Uh, so, Joe, how about you? 
Uh, I am more of a vertical shooter guy than horizontal. That being said, um, as much as I do love games like this where you have things in the air and then on the ground you have to focus on, um, a lot of my favorite games are horizontal shooters. <laughs> but I do prefer vertical, believe it or not. But like uh, yeah. Harmful Park, uh, Sexy Perotis, um, geez, even our um, type you know, those are all horizontal, so... Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna say say this, say this, say this. I'm gonna be the odd out. I actually prefer the like, horizontal shooters, mm -hmm. and I think because, and I think that's primarily, primarily, primarily because in my formative years of play, uh, playing games, uh, all, um, all the shooters I played were horizontal or shooters. Right. So, uh, vertical shooters were like more rare back in the day. Um, but yeah, uh, um, you know, you know, I do think this game works fine as a vertical shooter. Um, but you know, like, uh, but you know, like. You know, like I grew up playing like the greatest games, R type and whatnot, and those are all horizontal shooters. Uh, my, I, I, I didn't really, so I didn't really get into a vertical shooter until like uh, Dragon Spirit, which is a great game. I love, but I love Dragon Spirit. But, um, but yeah, uh, I also really enjoy Life Force a lot because Life Force actually alternates, alternates like, between the two. Yeah. Uh, like it was, um, you know, so it's, um, you know, and it works very well in that game too. I, I think so. But yeah, uh, yeah, so. Speaking about the graphics, we have talked about the graphics a little bit here. Uh, they're very, very good. Like, you know, they're keeping with the Twin B series. Um, you know, you um, you would know this, of course, unless you actually have, uh, unless you actually, uh, unless you actually like, like, like familiar with the Twin B games. But, you know, the graphics are very, um, obviously you can tell it's a Japanese game. Like, you know, the graphics are very bright, powerful, kind of anime style. Um, but they, um, yeah, but they, yeah, but they look, yeah, but they look very impressive on the system, and also depth perception, like Liam mentioned earlier, is done very well in this game. Uh, they're definitely kind of like you know the, the Super NES's graphical layer techniques are used a good effect, a good effect to get like a nice layer of depth to the like, like the games you're playing it. Um, so, Liam, anything you want to add on to like about that? Um, I would definitely say another thing that, about the graphics that it kind of really stood out for me is when it's when with some games from this era that i've noticed when the scrolling's going on sometimes it can look a little bit jarring mm -hmm. this game i had absolutely no issues with that it, like no matter how long the game was scrolling for the the graphical how can i say integrity of that second layer just it just looks stunning the whole time yeah. there's not there's never any occasion where it you know it looks jarring to the eye true yeah, and I was actually curious about that. I was curious about curious about that. Um, I played this game. Uh, I played this game both like an original path format and also like you know like adapted in the emulator for any um, you know uh, like NTSC uh, format. And the game plays just as with uh, and the game actually plays plays just, just well like in both cases. You know, Palcom did a great job of adapting the game for the European systems. I think so um, because because sometimes conversions can be kind of choppy in that area. Not this one. I mean, like, I still prefer. I still. Uh, I, 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 I still prefer playing this in NTSC format because of, because 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 it's the faster speed. But at least the game plays smoothly in power format and, and, and format. And, and not every shooter did. So I was I was very impressed by that. Yeah, there's not really a lot of games from this sort of um, from the era that uh, Pop and Twimby came out that really was able to nail down that 50 the 50 hertz refresh rate. Yes. I mean. There, I mean, even some games like the power, the power version of things like Super Mario World or Donkey Kong Country, that due to the fact that it has to run that little bit slower, there's still you can tell like where it's trying to refresh that other 10 hertz, but it's just not there. Yeah. But with this game, 
the I think it's one of the stronger Super Nintendo ports to the Power Region because the graphics look as good alongside the NTSC version, and that's pretty uncommon to see, especially in yeah. the Power Market. Yeah, yep, yep, definitely. I agree with that. Um, Joe, how about you? Huh? Uh, I really enjoyed this game, and I felt that uh, this is probably one of the smoothest uh, shooters that I've seen on the Super Nintendo. Like, I didn't see a single hiccup, no sign of slowdown. Um, I played both the PAL and the uh, Japanese versions. So, obviously, PAL's a tad bit slower, and um, I think that can sometimes work to your advantage. But, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> Japanese version was fun, frantic. Um, the bells drove me nuts. Um, I, yes. <laughs> so it's like um, it's kind of like cotton. So I've recently been playing a lot of cotton on uh, the Sega Saturn, and it's like you you also have a mechanic there where like you can shoot uh, gems and they change colors and then they you know change weapons and do different power-ups and whatnot same sort of thing as here and uh but there like you can just infinitely shoot them and they just change color and then you'll eventually pick them up and that was kind of the strategy i took here except for i found out that after shooting them too many times they just turn back to bronze and you're just collecting points you're not getting any power-ups so eventually i, I worked myself into a corner <laughs> the actual um yeah, yeah. The power mechanic of this game is very similar. To, uh, the power mechanic of this game is very similar. It's very similar to another to the shooter that I love. Um, I'm not sure if either, so I'm not sure like you guys have played 1943, mm -hmm. but uh, that that mm -hmm. also works. Uh, that also works. Uh, that, 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 it also works a very similar way in that game where you shoot it's like it's like you shoot a power up enough times to change changes something. You should you shoot the power up again a few more times to change something else. Um, it's just not as, um, I, I just, I, I just found the bells to be more aggravating this game compared to 1943 and we're trying to do that, however. Maybe because, um, maybe because, one, this game has more, um, this game has multiple bells at once usually as opposed to, as opposed to, as opposed to just one power per time in, in 1943. Um, you know, and two, it seems easier to shoot a power in 1943, uh, uh, as opposed to, as opposed to this game, this game, because the bell, because the bells here are like, I don't know. They feel smaller. The hit detection box in them, on them, but, but uh, on them, like feels tighter. Mm. So, um, yeah, yeah. I found that with the hit boxes with the bells, there were many times where I thought I had shot them, but in fact, because it was not absolutely in the center of the bell, it would just go straight on. Mm, yeah. um, the other thing as well with the bells that personally I found somewhat annoying is that sometimes when you're trying to shoot other enemies, if there's still bells on screen. You don't hit those enemies. You hit the bells instead. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I was to have, yeah, if I was to have like one complaint about this game, it would definitely like would be the hit, uh, hit detection, like in the collision detection in this game, because it's fair for the most part. But there definitely are times where I felt like okay, I, uh, like okay, that shot definitely should not have killed me. So, right. um, so I think the collision detection in this game is a little bit wonky, uh, like wonky in some places. I'd also say, based upon that as well, that also the amount of iframes you get after you take a hit is its just nowhere near enough. Mm. Mm, true, yeah. Yep. Basically, yeah, you could end up tanking multiple hits at once, and before you know it, you know, you've you've crashed into the ground, and you're just thinking, how did that, how did that <laughs> knock me out the sky? Yeah. How? <laughs> yes, 
Yeah, especially stage six. This the stage six is stage six is like a remarkably increase increase the difficulty level for some reason. So, um, but yeah, that's really the game where that yeah that, that's the game by really gets serious. They serious at you. Um, well, well, uh, well, I would argue also that next to next to an RPG. Uh, the most important thing to a shooter is music, and luckily this game has a great soundtrack to shoot by. Um, uh, again, Konami games tend to have great music, so again, that's to be expected. Uh, and and for taking out some other Quimby games, the, the, uh, all the games in the franchise have, have, pretty, have, pretty, have pretty good music. But the music in this game is very good. It's, it's kind of a kind of mix between a cutesy, cartoony piece and also like more of a serious one, if that makes sense. <laughs> but um, you know. Like, it's yeah. very like energetic, like energetic upbeat, like you know, like but still whimsical, whimsical soundtrack to shoot by. So uh, yeah, it, it's oh sorry, sorry. I, I, I I was just gonna finish up. It, it, it's very keeping with the actual theme of this game. Um, so yeah, I personally agree with that. I think that the music in this game is nothing short of stunning. Because the thing is, at the end of the day, with a shooter, as well as you know the core gameplay mechanics, if you've got a soundtrack that is grating on the ear, you just you just think, well, I don't want to play that. Yes. Um, but yeah. in this case, the, yeah. I think just the range of arrangements in terms of, you know, the different... Each stage kind of had its very own, very unique sound to it. Um, and also in the sound department, I'd say as well, um, the sound effects for the most part are actually... They're pretty solid. Mm -hmm. yes. The only one I dislike is when you get hit. Yeah. Because... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that high pitch, uh, like yeah. that, it's just... it. Especially when you get hit multiple times, it just drives you up the wall. Yeah, the cute little voices of this game are nice, but because we're not Japanese, so we, well, we don't know what they're saying, so um, you know they could have been left out and nobody would have been the wiser. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe just a different variety of different sounds as well, because I feel that the amount of sounds that the character, when he gets it, takes, also the different sounds that he makes, there's just not enough variety to it. I mean, if he had like a few different you know, sort of a more like lower pitch sound, or you know, a different reaction to maybe taking a hit on a different part of, say the say the ship, for example. Um, perhaps that would me make it less irritating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can see that. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry, uh, I was I wasn't bothered by that quite, quite as much as you were, but I, de <coughs> I definitely, I definitely, um, I can see that. <coughs> Uh, yeah, I definitely, um, yeah, the winner, yeah, the winner for having the worst soundtrack in 1942, but that's not even a soundtrack, like, per se, so, but, um, fun game, but just, like, you know, just, like, yeah, yeah, play something else in the background, so, um, Joe, what do you think about the music? I love the music, uh, up, up against the, uh, the visuals of this game, the, the music is almost, like, right there at par, and, like, this game is, um, the, the way I described this game in my notes was, this is Cute'em Ups personified. Like, when I think Cute'em Up, this game is exactly what I'm talking about. It's got the whimsical music, it's got the graphics that are all cutesy, everything I think in this game has a smile on it, I'm pretty sure, um, except for some of the bosses, but, you know, those bosses are meant to be menacing. Um, and they do a good job. Like I, I really love the bosses in this game. Um, but yeah, the, the music's fantastic. It sets the tone perfectly. And uh, I agree with Liam. If it wasn't for you know the little ship going really high pitched, like 
It'd be absolutely <laughs> perfect. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, like you know, the um, the uh, the Paradise series also has a very like cutesy graphics, like as well too. Right. It's kind of like a different style. Mm-hmm. So, but, <laughs> very <yes>. different. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, I love to cover Paradise games at some point too because those games are also like fun. But, um, but anyway, yeah. Yep. No, I definitely can agree with all that. Um, games. So the games are typical length as far as a shooter, forty-five minutes to an hour to play through. Um. What difficulty level did you guys use to like, use to play the game like and beat it? Well, I assume you beat it, but uh, what difficulty level did you set at that? I personally just kept it on the default because um, me being my usual um, curious self, shall we say, decided that, oh, I'll have a look at this on difficulty 7 the first time <laughs> I played it. And yeah, if that was not... Um, if that was... If the one word comes to mind is just sheer brutality, because literally it's just <laughs> that's not even the hardest level either. Like we'll get to that. But, oh, but, oh, I know it's not the hardest <laughs> one, but in terms of the hardest <laughs> default, um, yeah. But yeah, the, the default setting for this game is four. Rather way, in case you're like wondering about that, uh, uh, um, uh, I wonder about that. You know, the seven game levels, the the game default is four. So okay, yep. yeah. I couldn't remember I was, if it was three or four personally. Yeah, I was up at a four. So Joe, how about you? Oh, I played it on two. Let's be fair. Uh, we've talked numerous That's times fine. about <laughs> how little time I have to play video games, and uh, we've also talked about how like uh, my reflexes aren't what they used to be. So yeah, I I was very tempted to just play on one, but then I was like. If I play on one, I'm not going to get the full experience. It's probably going to be a sparse landscape as far as being able to shoot stuff. So I was like, I got to have at least some sort of challenge. So I did play on level two. And uh, like I said, I enjoyed it. I, I really did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yep. That's fair. Like I said before, like, you know, I do, you know, I do appreciate the game. It has multiple different levels like this. And like, you know, yeah, nobody should judge you. Like, you know, you play the game. You know, how you want to play it. But, I know you're judging um, me, you're... It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't you worry, I won't judge you on that. Don't you worry. <laughs> I mean, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And like I said before, I thought the game does a good job. Of, uh, like I said before, I thought the game does a good job pretty much pretty much of a ramp of ramp, ramp, ramp difficulty until like, uh, mm. stage six and seven. Uh, mm. The stages of the game get brutally hard. Mm. Yeah. So um, I don't know why the game felt the felt any of that sharp spike and spike and increase difficulty but you know it's there so let's be warned i did it, like that so. it did the thing that some shooters do where like i could just hold down the fire button and i could just rapid fire thank god yes um yeah. that yeah. was fantastic it, but like that just even thought yeah if so. i did, if i had to keep on pounding the controller to uh shoot i probably would have given up <laughs> and the other thing with that that you mentioned about the holding the shoot button down did any did any of you two notice that the further up the screen you were the the quicker that it fired yeah so if you're like right yeah. at the bottom of the screen i think it's only three shots on screen you can have at one time before it doesn't allow you to shoot anymore mm. but if you're higher up the screen it was basically it was shooting shooting so quick yeah yeah i think like eight nine shot it was just like a savage assault on anything in front of you yeah i think they had to do something with like uh the limitations of the system that's the only thing you can think of mm. because like i said this game runs so smooth which usually there's some slowdown when it comes to you know so much stuff on screen and everything else with uh shooters so that that's the only thing i could think of because i noticed that as well 
but also like you better be at the bottom of the screen because if you're even halfway up or even up any higher <laughs> you're going to get hit by something and end up you know taking some damage so but that's one thing i like yeah. about this game like they give you one life but they don't punish you so you have one life you have your health gauge but you also have seven continues so they expect you to die they just don't expect you to die more than once per level. <laughs> <laughs> and there are codes uh, codes available that will change that as well, too. We'll probably get into that as well. So, um, so yeah. um, oh, sorry. Go I was going to say, with the um, amount of continues you get as well, normally with a game like this, I was thinking if you got three continues, you would be really lucky. Right. But I think I think seven is kind of the perfect amount. Because what it can do, if you're in that stage, like you mentioned, stage six or stage seven, if you've got continues in hand, you can kind of adjust yourself as you go through mm. the stage. So let's just say you hit the halfway point of stage six, where the brutality just goes through the roof. At least you can learn, like, what are the patterns here? How do the um, enemies behave? And then if you lose a life, you've got those continues in hand. You can kind of... It's very much a very... The game kind of gives you a very good learning, a good chance to learn what what's ahead of you almost. But doing it in such a way that it doesn't, you know, say, oh, you've only got three continues. Oh, you've only got one left. You're only on stage for, uh-huh, just try again later, mate. So, I think I know the answer to this already, but, uh, but, already, but I'll ask. Um, there was one other uh, Twin B game also released in Europe uh, back in the 90s. Um, uh, there was Pop and Twin B Rainbow Bell Adventures, uh, which also which also Powercom decided to localize for the European markets. Uh, can you play that one? Telling it all, Liam. I haven't actually. I've heard of it, but it's a, it's I think a very I've... different game. It, uh, a, very, a very different game. It still uses the um um it's it still uses the Twin B characters, the characters, and still set in Twin B universe, but. It, so, but that game's a side-scrolling platformer instead. Ah, now that you say side-scrolling platformer, I have seen it played. Um, yeah. It's the the platforming aspect of that is quite interesting. Um, I won't dive into too much detail because obviously, yeah. you know, future episodes and everything <laughs> like that. But I I think that how it transfers into a side-scrolling <laughs> if I can say side-scrolling platformer, how it converts into a side-scrolling platformer is quite interesting kind of goes down like the um super mario world-esque sort of like map you know you pick the levels and everything like that so yeah, yeah they did try to yeah they did try to branch out the games to the franchise quite a bit over the years uh, over the years over the years i mean i mean it started as a shooter but it also branched out to platforming games puzzle games rpgs um you know so they did try to like you know like um, there, there was even like a rock paper scissors game like for mobile flavor phones. So, uh, they, so at least the, so like so at least they tried to branch things out. Branch things out. Well, we'll take it credit for. So I think so I think most people most people are familiar with the series because of it, because of it being a shooter. But it's a lot more. Than, but the games of the series like a lot more. But like a lot more than just being a shooter. So pretty much if there is a genre of video game out there, Twin B has you covered at least in one way, shape, or yeah. form. Um, considering they have a, yeah, yeah, considering, yeah, considering they have a, a jingle game even, um, I, I think you're probably right. <laughs> oh god, I forgot about the pachinko game. <laughs> but again, this is Konami right. we're talking about. What say, isn't yes. a pachinko machine? <laughs> um, 
There was even like a roguelike dungeon, uh, a roguelike dungeon RPG game made by cell phones. Interesting. So I um, should try and find a way to play that. That just sounds right up my alley. <laughs> yeah. Well, a a Japan only. B was a, a mobile game from like 2003. So good luck. But um, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah. Looking at this list, a lot of interesting games. So. Um, yeah, so I've not played anything from the Twinbee series before in the past. I'm curious now to check. Uh, I'm curious now to check out like more games in the franchise because I um, mean, you know, said before, like, I love shooters. Um, you know, like I, you know, you know, if I can get around my dislike of the uh, my dislike of the like the power up system, um, you know, this is actually like a pretty like fun, challenging, challenging series. I think so. At least you know, you know, you know, you know, at least based upon this game, this game did get very high reviews. Um, you know, people do consider it to be one of the best games of the franchise. So, um, you know, at least, you know, so at least like, at least Palcom back in the day made a very good choice as what game to localize over, to localize over there in Europe. So, see, I think the best way to describe uh, Poppin' Twin Big personally is that it's a fantastic game, but with caveats. Yes. Um, and. Which ones? Which ones would you say? Uh, uh, like those, like you know, like warnings. Um, of the caveats that I personally disliked, um, as I say, the whole bell system was annoying. Um, and then the sound design. The sound design was great, apart from obviously the weird pain sounds. Yeah. But I think, I think, for apart from that, if you can get your mind over that, I would say that also this is a great game for someone who's looking to get into shooters yes. because. Because with the different difficulty levels, if you're very much not used to a vo- vertical scrolling shooter, obviously playing this on difficulty one is a great way for you to see, kind of get a great introduction into not just the shoot 'em up genre, but also the cute 'em up side of things, which is obviously a little bit more of a niche short sort of genre, really. Right. Yep. Yep. Definitely agree. Uh, yep. So I'd agree with all that. I also would add the small thing. Collision detection, the hit, the collision detection, hit detection box is a little bit wonky, I think, but not like a deal breaker. Um, but yeah, those were like, a, uh, but yeah, those were like my own like you negatives, you negatives say like about the game. Um, Joe, it sounds like, Joe, it sounds like, um, it sounds like that you would agree with, you agree with like most of that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I didn't even notice like the hit box, in all honesty, because the way. I play a vertical shoot 'em ups anyways as I'm constantly moving left and right and just like spamming the fire button. So it's like I'm just shooting and clearing the way. So if uh, there's a hitbox and I miss it, I, I don't even notice. I'm just like, you are going to die eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you going to lose a life eventually? But when you lose a life, you just do not know That's that. Right. <laughs> Plus, also adding on to what Liam said, like this game, like being like very gentle, gentle, gentle newcomers. If you can play, so like you, like if you actually have, so like if you actually have, actually have somebody to play with, playing couple mode makes the game even, like, um, you you you're playing playing couple mode makes the game even easier for you. So, yeah. um, so like so yeah, like so yeah, this is a very good. This, so, so yeah, all that all that all that to take it together, this is a great game, definitely like introduce people to shooters with shooters with those reasons. So. There is also one unique feature on the Switch version that I do want to quickly bring up, which is um, with the two Joy-Cons, um, player one would actually get the left Joy-Con, and the game actually recognises, this might be due to the way that it was ported, the right Joy-Con is actually for player two. 
So you wouldn't need two separate sets of controllers. You could use one Joy-Con for player one and the other one for player mm. two, and the game recognizes it absolutely fine. Kind of cramped though, isn't it? It's a little bit cramped, but... <laughs> I was going to say, it wouldn't be the way I'd be playing, but, you know, that's pretty nice either, either way. Yes. Yep. Nope. 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 Definitely agree. So, um, so this is fun, kind of like a trivia fact. Because of how popular that the characters in this game were, I mean, like, Flight of Japan, you know, you know, they got, like, you know, like, anime or their drama, magna, etc., uh, etc. Et um, characters, 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 characters in these games showed up, showed up, showed up, showed up cameos in a lot of other video games. Uh, many of those games did not come out here in the U.S., but in the, in the U.S., obviously, obviously, uh, um, but a few of them did. Um, Snatcher, for example. Um, so, I love Snatcher. I'm not sure if you guys have played Snatcher, but, you know, it's, um, you know, um, you know, it's a shame that the, it's a shame that the, um, you know, that the, uh, that the that 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 the uh, that the only North American or Europe published version of the game is so rare to find these yeah. days. But um, uh, two characters, two characters of this game, Light by Light and Pastel, appears clients that I would have nightclub. Um, you know, um, you know, um, kind of in the background, like other Konami characters, like they're great characters. Those kind of Easter egg. Um, so, um, so, uh, and uh, Cass and and so. Um, so and so, uh, Twin B also makes an appearance a secret item in two Castlevania games, Portrait of Ruin and Order of Eshula. So, uh, oh, Army Despair too is also there. So, um, that's probably the, so. Like those two are probably the biggest, the biggest day um, Western cameos like with characters like this franchise. So, um, so anyway, being a Japanese game only uh, only game for a while uh, or mostly while. I don't know how well this game is sold in Europe, but. Um, you know, like most of its sales, most of its uh, most of its sales, most of its reputation came from Japan. Um, the game did pretty well in Japan. You know, like um, so it got like you know average scores of like you know eighty percent. Um, you know, like around that. So uh, most of the U.S. most of most of the modern U.S. European review scores of this game like around the same score. So like good, not great. Um, so we have like a very like I mean like very good solid solid score. Yeah, I tend to agree with those as well because obviously um, the the caveats that we've mentioned definitely could be, you know, it could be the one thing that stops people thinking, ah, this game is great. <laughs> Instead, they just think, well, the hit detection's a bit rough. The character personally sounds like he's in pain, and <laughs> yeah, but obviously the more unique aspects, I can see maybe why the the store those scores kind of stayed around, you know, seven or eight where. The core game is solid, but there's obviously still small minutiae that could have made the game that little bit better. Right. Yep. Yep. Definitely agree with that. So yeah. So fun game. Anybody enjoys shooters and doesn't mind cutesy things, definitely should check this out uh, because this is a very like underrated game. Because like I said before, in um, um, you know, it was Japan and Europe for the longest time. So I think a lot of people like probably didn't even recognize this game. So uh, yeah, definitely a fun game. Definitely you know definitely should be given a look so by anybody who really enjoys games of this type. Um, but, so. So before we move on to uh, codes and eBay and whatnot and close things out, do either one of you have any final thoughts you want to say about this game? I would personally say that in terms of shooters, I'm I'm someone who is not immensely experienced with um, shooters. I've obviously played a decent amount over the years, but I'm not what I'd call hardcore. I would say if you can get get over the fact that it's um it's like some people may find the cutesy graphics a little bit off-putting. If you can get over like the small problems that we've had with it, 
this is this is a really fun game just to play in one sitting. I mean, as you mentioned, there's about it's about an hour. I mean, if you game over a couple of times, it's still not going to clock in at more than say two to three hours. You could definitely play it in an afternoon, mm. and it's definitely it's it's my favorite game from this particular series. I mean, obviously. With the uh, platform one, I've got a little bit of experience with that. I've seen a couple of the others. But I just think that in terms of Super Nintendo shooters, I would recommend for newcomers, not just to the genre, but to the Super Nintendo as a, as a whole, this is one of those which you, can, you can't you can go wrong with that much. I mean, obviously, apart from the annoying sound effect, which drove literally drove me to insanity half the time. But hey, uh, nothing can be perfect, can it? <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, good summary. Uh, Joe, how about you? Uh, I love this game. I thought this was a great little shooter. Um, like I said, you know, I have experience with the up, so that helped. Um, music's fantastic. Graphics are great. Um, I don't mind the bell system. I just wish that uh, it was kind of like Cotton, where it was just an infinite rotation of the powers, and that it wouldn't eventually, quote-unquote, burn out. Um, outside of that, uh, fantastic game and highly recommended. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a um, definitely like more like you know obscure game like for sure. So um, you know it is always fun to like see like you know like things like this like show up. So um, I personally would also say I think this is one of those games that it is a shame that it didn't get outside of Europe and Japan because I feel like this sort of game at the time. Like when it was ported to Europe in 1994, these you know the more unique side of the Super Nintendo was starting to be shown. You had things like Super Metroid come out. You had Donkey Kong Country. This kind of would have really helped fill in a gap in the Super Nintendo library in terms of not just a shoot 'em up, but something something that little bit something that looks that little bit different, something that little bit more unique. Yeah. Because I mean, there's not really I can't think of another shooter that looks exactly in this style. I mean, yeah. I mean, you mentioned. I mean, Joe mentioned uh, Parodius, but obviously that's a little bit. Obviously, I think that's a little bit more. It's a little bit. It's a little bit differently designed. This is like purely like proper cutesy, mm. but but I just think that this game is, as you both mentioned, is exceptionally underrated. This is yes. a game that really, if you like shoot 'em ups in any way, shape, or form, just give it a try. I mean, there's nothing to lose, and quite a fun game to gain from it. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and it sounds like. Um, yeah, it sounds like what you were saying earlier, Liam. Uh, it sounds like um, you know, it sounds like the Switch version of this game like plays very well. Oh, the Switch version! It the Switch version plays extremely well. Um, obviously, the option for the two-player I think is also a great feature because obviously through emulation, sometimes getting someone else on the other side to play can be a little bit difficult. But I, th- but I, ju- I just think that you know, just having having the ability just to hand another Joy-Con off to someone else and say. Do you want to play this for 20 minutes and just chill out for a little bit? It's that sort of thing that I think is great about this game, personally. Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, I cannot find... Yeah, obviously, um, you know, I cannot find any official reason as why this game didn't come out to... They didn't come out in North America, because, you know, it's not you know it's not a shock, because they're shocked because most of the time you can't find anything out there saying, like, why a game wasn't released for X market or Y market, but um, if I had to guess, it's just because that the... You know, the Konami felt that, you know, the game was just too cutesy for the North American market probably at the time, which because anime, anime was in their anime in the 90s, the 90s was just really starting to get popular, popular over here. So, 
Um, they also, you know, they also may have felt the game that the gameplay was too similar, like their Gradius series. So, um, so if I had to make an educated, yes, if I had to make an educated guess, those are the two reasons as to why the game never came out over here. But which also makes it, which makes it even weirder that Palcom decided to pick this game out of this game out of a few other games to localize to localize, localize like for Europe, like several years later. Go figure. So, um, like I said before, Palcom made some very curious choices in what games it is to. What games to bring over to the European market anyway? So, yeah, great. But all right, so as of t all right, so actually, okay, so as you might, so as you might expect of any kind of shooter, there are a bunch of codes and secrets hidden in this game. So, um, so, uh, so the big ones are going to be most of these codes. You have to like actually pause the game. Uh, pause the game, uh, uh, input the code, like, and then like you know, unpause the game to uh, unpause the game to activate them. So, uh, pretty typical shooter mechanism like for that. Uh, there's, there's a code to give you eight continues. There's a code to give you like nine chibis. There's a code to give you like full energy. There's a code to make you like invincible. And um, uh, there's a code to give you like a level select. Um, and also, um, and also, in case you're wondering, yes, the classic Konami code is here in this game. <laughs> However, 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 if you put it in the gameplay, it causes your ship to blow up. So, um, very similar to what it does in Gradius 3. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, put the classic code like, in that game. So, uh, uh, cute touch, Konami. But anyway, um, there is a level 8 difficulty that the, the, the LUTV4. Like, um, you know, in case you thought the regular game was not hard enough, you can. Um, uh, they can't unlock an insane difficulty letting, difficult setting. This is accessed by using the Konami code. This time on the, this time like on the option screen instead. To, um, to, to, to like show up that level eight difficulty <laughs> setting for you. So. Well, thank God um, for that. There is. <laughs> <laughs> there's also found these H select. Uh, there's also there's also found these H select uh, stage select that you can use. Um, it differs. Uh, the, 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 the code differs. The, the code differs depending if you're playing the Japanese version or the U.S. or U.S. U.S. European version. So look up the appropriate code for what version of the game to play. So yeah, well those. So yeah, like those codes. So yeah, like those codes at your disposal. You have no reason like not like finishing this game. So oh, there's also code to be like you know, a mini B as well too. Like I forgot about that one. So a bunch of codes in this game that you can use to help you out. Um, eBay pricing. This is going to be a little bit complicated and messy, only because the game is available in so many formats and so for formats. So I'm going to do the best I can to try to summarize this and try to make it understandable for anybody listening to this. Because because the game got released multiple times, multiple formats, multiple regions, um, there are numerous ways to buy this game. To buy this game, play so inclined. Also, I include shipping uh, shipping prices uh, usually usually like at this. Um, most of the copies of the game, uh, most of the copies of this game available to you are going to be obviously shipping from Europe because duh, that's where it was released <laughs> at. So, um, <laughs> so uh, for so, so like anybody over there who, uh, like anybody like Liam who already who already is in Europe, the shipping costs are, are obviously going to be like a, a lot cheaper because, as a rule of thumb, shipping from Europe to the U.S. Uh, on this game like like never near about fifteen dollars. So. Um, so basically, if you're in Europe, you can feel free just to minus fifteen dollars off the cost of like these, uh, yeah, uh, um, you know, uh, 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 like these listings. So unless um, you're shipping from mainland Europe to the UK, which nowadays, yep, yeah, yeah, I've heard about that. So 
which you might as well just add another hundred dollars onto that just to get someone to ship it to the <laughs> is UK. Is it that bad? Holy, holy Christ! Now, now, I'm, uh, now I'm kidding with that. Don't worry, it's not that high, but it might as well be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, unfortunately. Um, so anyway, let's get started here then. Uh, if you want to get a version of the cart from Japan only, the Japanese, the Japanese Super Famicom version of the game, uh, not that expensive. Uh, like I said before, these prices all include shipping. So again, uh, so again, these are prices that come from like Japan. Oh, let me also say, this game is fairly common on eBay. I found 77 copies of this game uh, being listed on there worldwide. 60, 10 of those copies were available in North America, and 52 copies of the game were so 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 recently worldwide. In those copies, sold in North America. So you don't need to actually pay the high shipping cost. Shipping costs if you, if you want to. You can find copies of this game already available in North America. So um, it's just more common. It's just more common and probably cheaper if you're willing to if you, if you, if you ship it. If you're willing to ship the ship worldwide. Yeah. So anyway, um, Japanese Super Famicom card only uh, of this game. Running uh, anywhere from about twenty-one. Yeah, yeah, that running anywhere. Yeah, that running anywhere from about twenty-one dollars, twenty-one dollars to twenty-eight dollars. So. Um, so, like, 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 from Japan, uh, like, not bad price. So. No, I expected um, it to be lower, though, because, I, you know, this series is pretty popular over in Japan, so I would think that they... You're also talking, yeah, like I said before, you're also talking, like, $10 15 dollars of shipping. Oh, yeah, yeah, right that's true, alone. okay. Good point, so, good point. But, so that's why I said, Never mind. so, that, that's why I said, um, you know... You know, that's why I said it's so confusing, confusing, confusing trying to get a breakdown of this one because this one because the game's available in so many formats, sort of many countries or whatnot. So, um, obviously, yeah, if you do snag one, of those, if, you, if you do snag one of those like North American only copies, it would be around like so, like it would be like ten to fifteen dollars. So, but um, if you, so, if you want a CIV copy of this game from Japan, that would be about forty-five dollars. So, um, if you want a copy from Europe, uh, a PAL copy of, the, of, of this game. Again, prices, shipping, shipping, pricing like varies wildly depending upon what country in Europe this is coming from and whatnot. Uh, cart only copies. The cart only, you can have a, you can have a cart, a cart only version of this game shipped to you from Europe to the United States, anywhere from you know, anywhere from twenty seven dollars to twenty seven dollars to seventy three dollars, depending upon condition and whereabouts in Europe it's coming from. It like how can um, how it's been shipped to you? Your Air Express versus like you know like slow boat to China format. So. Um, CIB, pretty much same thing. Wild, a wild range of pricing. Okay, anywhere from sixty-two dollars all the way up to one hundred seventy dollars, depending upon condition, um, the completeness, and also like where it's coming from. So, um, finally, there are people. There finally are people available who, who have been, who, who have made who have been available available repro copies of, of this game, which is which is common. You usually see this. You usually see this like like Japanese only games. Somebody's taking uh, so, so, so somebody so what that means is somebody somebody's taking taking the time to take a copy of the game. Uh, modified for U.S. for U.S. release, stick the ROM onto a stick the ROM onto a U.S. to a U.S. Super NES cart, and manufacture a label for it for what uh, a label for like what it might have looked like had it had the game gotten a U.S. release. So, um, the beauty of this format is a format like we have a Super NES system where we have like um, a clone system like a retcon or whatnot. You or what now you can just stick the, like stick the cart in the system and, and, and go like you know like you don't have to worry about translation. Like you played on it, um, like you don't have to worry about speed because it's already been localized for North America. You don't have to worry about like you know the ROM. You just play, stick it in and go. So um, there definitely is a market for this. I definitely, get, um, I definitely can see the appeal. Obviously, because somebody's doing, obviously, obviously because somebody's doing the work on this, the repo, repos do tend to be, repos do tend to be 
well, I think more expensive. So, uh, the average cost of repro, repro, repro copy of this game runs you about $45. For a repro, that's not actually that expensive, because I know that some of the repros, especially when Star Fox 2, before it's officially released, they could run like 60 to 70. Mm-hmm. But then obviously that had the um, FX2 chip in there, so. Right, yeah. So, but. Um... Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I mean, as far as you know, as far as the repro, the repro copy of this game goes, it's not that, it's not that much. Um, I forget to look how much this game was selling for on Switch Store. Uh, Liam, do you remember how much you paid for it? Um, on the Switch Store, it's um, the way that it's integrated is if you have an online Switch subscription. Oh yeah, yeah, that's com- right. I forget about that. Yep, yeah, Nintendo did it- that strange thing with everything. Mm. I mean, it's not. I mean, the Switch Online subscription isn't really too expensive. I think here it's um, seventeen pounds ninety nine, which is around about twenty two, twenty three. So that'd be kind of about the same price as uh, getting a copy shipped from Japan. So it's twenty dollars here in the U.S. Yeah, I didn't say like yeah, right? Yeah, and that's for an entire year. So I mean, based Mm. on the other. Super Nintendo games alone that you get, I'm. I think it's worth, you know. Yeah. I, I'm. I'm paid three years in advance, so, I mean. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was like, I spent God yeah. knows how much money on Xbox, uh, you know, the um, Game Pass and whatever else with Xbox Live. I I paid that yeah. every month. You know what I mean? So I was like, geez, if yeah. I can just spend yeah. twenty dollars and get it for a year, I'm just gonna spend sixty dollars, which is what I would do with the Xbox for an entire year and just True. get it for yeah. free. So yeah. I don't have to worry about it. True. <laughs> yep. I do wish they allowed you to actually like keep the game, but I agree with you that, you know, as far as the price goes, the price goes like prescription model. That's not right. a bad price. I mean, it's also the fact that it's got some um, uh, ex- Japanese exclusives on there. You know, like True. Mario's Pit yep. Cross is on mm. there. Yep. Uh, Psycho, yep. Psycho Dream's fully translated on there now. Um... And there's, they keep updating it every two to three months and adding a couple of new titles here and there. I kind of wish they added more, but it's wishful thinking sometimes. Yeah, yeah the catalog is because it is. Like, you know, the dripping grabbing of the stuff is kind of annoying. Like, I do hear that. So. Yeah, at this point, it's like, look, you know, I know that it's only $20 that we're paying, but, like, either drop some titles, like, every month, even if it's just, like, one, you know, drop every month, or start adding other systems. So this way, there's at least some interest because I mean, for most, for the most uh, part, a lot of people are like, kind of asking why am I even paying for this? You know what I mean? So yeah, which I understand. I, I completely get it. You know, and it's like playing online on the Switch is kind of a pain in the butt. But you know, we finally got Bluetooth yeah, I mean- ex- accessibility for our headset. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, finally, like, years later. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, there's well, a I lot. Of... Sorry, go sorry. ahead. No, nope, sorry. Uh, wasn't important. Like you, go ahead. I was also going to say. I mean, some of the games that have imported to the <laughs> to the Switch in terms of the Super Nintendo. Some of them are just beyond bizarre. Like, wasn't I think Fireman Five Thousands on there, yeah. which is never heard of it. <laughs> Which I think is, I think that game you're basically just being a firefighter in like a top-down perspective, and kind of makes me think, why port that? At that point, you might as well have just ported Balls 3D at that right. point. <laughs> Don't give many ideas. Uh... <laughs> oh goodness no! If you're listening, to Nintendo, <laughs> please don't do that. Uh, but yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, Nintendo. Yeah, what I'm gonna say is like Nintendo always does like very weird choices, like their choices, like their like game philosophy and design and whatnot. But that's why people love them because they're love them because they're yeah because yeah because like Nintendo's Nintendo. So, but but I'm not gonna get into that argument like right now. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, that pretty much wraps up uh, wraps up the game talk. So, um, Liam, it's been great having you on the podcast. It's um, you know like awesome having you on here finally. So thank you very much yes, for joining thank us. You. Uh, we very much appreciate it. It's um, been an absolute pleasure being on here today. Actually, um, I was today was actually I didn't have anything planned today, so I'm kind of glad you asked me to come on the podcast because it's, <laughs> it's, it's been a huge, huge bundle of fun. Yeah, um, awesome. Glad to hear it. So. Um, uh, so yeah, so you mentioned before that you used to Twitch stream, but you don't do that anymore. Uh, do you have any? Do you have any current projects? Projects? Projects you're working on, like you know, podcasts, articles, uh, websites, that kind of stuff that you want to plug? Well, I am a writer. I, I've written about my life every day for, um, as of recording this episode, uh, one thousand nine hundred twenty-five days without missing one. Um, because I suffer from ADHD, OCD, Asperger's, Tourette's, and anxiety. I kind of write my daily life through my eyes to kind of get it's kind of it's kind of like an awareness thing so people can see how how I perceive things. Um, on that website as well, I am doing I do video game reviews, uh, film reviews, um, music reviews. I write short stories occasionally. Um, pretty much most types of media I've got covered on there. So, oh, awesome. Um, okay, and uh, do you have the URL handy? Yep, it is at liampiperblog.wordpress.com. Okay, uh, we will try to yes, yeah, so we will try to remember to drop that off in the show notes so people can check that out. So um, appreciate it. So all right, um, awesome. Well, like well, once again, Liam, appreciate you having you on the podcast. Uh, we, um, uh, but you know, I'm sure you have other games that you love to talk about. So like, we'll probably be back in the future at some point. So I um, definitely have quite a few. Trust <laughs> me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so thank you for yes. Yeah, so <clears throat> Thank you for joining us as always. Um, you know, like it's a pleasure. It's been a pleasure as well. So, uh, if you want to give any feedback, questions, uh, suggestions, etc., you can find us on our Facebook page, or you also can send me can send me an email directly at the SNES uh, Podcast at Yahoo.com. Feel free also to shoot over like your thoughts um, upon like you know past games or current games or whatnot as far as Super NES. Uh, you know, feedback, you know, feedback, uh, um, uh, and thoughts about games is always appreciated. So. Uh, Joe, how can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at J-O-E-S-U-X-3-0, and I have a very public Facebook. You can find me. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, thank you again to both of you guys for joining me here, as, uh, as always. And uh, stay safe, everybody out there. Uh, take care, and we'll catch you again next time. Oh, next episode. Uh, that'll help. <laughs> uh, another guest host episode coming up. Uh, we're going to be joined by Ray, who's also been, who, who, has, who has been podcasting for in the past. I know that for a fact. So, um, Ray's bringing a game I've never played before. Uh, before I know very little to, to uh, very, very, very little about the table we're to talk about. Um, Bob, also called Bob. So, um, looks like a very quirky, unique game. We're going to be interesting, play interesting, get Definitely into that. Be interesting. So, <laughs> yes, that'll be the, so. That'll be the next episode. So, stay tuned for that, folks. So, uh, thank you again for always listening to the podcast. We, uh, podcast as always, like we very much appreciate it. Uh, be, be well, everybody. Stay safe. We'll catch you again next Bye. time. Later, all. Bye bye. Nintendo controls eighty percent of the video market, but no matter how you play the game which game you play, things definitely have come a long way since Pac-Man.
Now you're playing with power. Deep of power. 